You're listening to the Jesus for Everyone podcast, a podcast where we talk about the intersection of faith and social justice and what a first century Jewish prophet of the poor from Galilee offers us today in our work of love, compassion, and justice. To support this podcast, go to renewedheartministries.com and click donate. But change can scare those benefiting from the present system, no matter how unjust that system may be for others. Sadly, the moderates in any given society typically side with the establishment. Um, They don't side, moderates don't typically side with those being most marginalized. Welcome to the Jesus for Everyone podcast. My name is Herb Montgomery, and this is episode 316, and our title is A Just Future Begins Today. In Luke's gospel, Jesus was asked when the kingdom or Jesus' vision of, of God's just future was coming, and he answered, this is Luke 17, 20 through 21, the kingdom of God is not coming with things that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there it is, for in fact, the kingdom of God is among you. What energized the early Jesus movement was that Jesus counterintuitively denied that the just future they anticipated was coming at some far distant point in the future. He declared instead that it had arrived, it had already begun, a new way of shaping human society toward justice, toward compassion and inclusion. It had come, and it was theirs for the choosing. A movement had arisen around Jesus' egalitarian teaching, and they were being invited to participate in it. A movement toward the just future that they longed for, that movement had arrived. And the question was that they were, uh, the question for them was what they were going to do about it. And notice the following passages in Matthew 3, verse 2. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Matthew 4, 17. From that time, Jesus began to, re- to proclaim, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Matthew 10, 7. As you go, proclaim the good news, the kingdom of heaven has come near. And Matthew 12, 28. The kingdom of God has come to you. And Matthew 21, 31. Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, the tax collectors and prostitutes are going into the kingdom of God ahead of you. And Mark 1, 15, and saying the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God has come. Jesus was not announcing that this kingdom would arrive soon in the future. He proclaimed that the time had already come. He saw his purpose as, as traveling from one city to the next, proclaiming its arrival. In Luke 4, 43, it says, but he said to them, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. And in Luke 8, 1, soon afterwards, he went on through cities and villages proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. Reconsider the passage that we began with in Luke 17 with this as a backdrop now. And in verse 20 through 21, he says, once Jesus, it says, once Jesus was asked by Pharisees when the kingdom of God was coming, and he answered, the kingdom of God is not coming with things that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there it is, for in fact, the kingdom of God is 
among you. The gospel authors, uh, they, you, they, the, the authors use the rhetoric of kingdom or empire in their own Jewish culture and their own Roman societal context. Today, I believe we have better language to use. The language of kingdom is, is now is rightly seen as authoritarian, hierarchical, and it's rooted in patriarchy. Jesus' teaching on the kingdom, those teachings were, were egalitarian, and his kingdom of ordering human society, it didn't look anything like what we think of when we think of a kingdom. So let's simply call it Jesus's vision of God's just future. This just future had actually arrived, and Jesus contrasted it with the Roman Empire, or at least the gospel authors did. And its treatment of the poor, uh, its inclusion of the marginalized, uh, the nonviolent obstruction of present systems of injustice, uh, the teachings of liberation of the incarcerated, and the calls for reparations towards those who had been harmed uh, by the present system, it confronted those listening to Jesus with the difference between the kind of society they were living in and the kind of society society that could be if they choose it. Notice the contrast in these two verses, Luke 21, 31. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. And in Luke 22, 18, for I tell you, from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Now, here's that future tense. Had the time come? Yes. Was it near? Yes, had the beginning of it already begun? Absolutely. But could it also be stopped and prevented? Could it be obstructed, uh, kept from, from coming in its fullness? Well, well, that's true as well. The time for change had come. But as with all movements, positive momentum, it could be obstructed, it could be slowed, it could even be halted or stopped. The time for a just future may have come, but change can scare those benefiting from the present system, no matter how unjust that system may be for others. Would the established elite be able to stop this movement, or would the proletariat that comprised the early Jesus movement actually be able to make the changes uh, they resonated with in the teachings of Jesus? Sadly, the moderates in any given society typically side with the establishment. Um, they don't side, moderates don't typically side with those being most marginalized. In the Gospels, Jesus announced that the beginning of God's just future had arrived, and he called his followers to enlarge this beginning, and it was obstructed almost immediately. That obstruction is the meaning we can safely take from the cross of Jesus. The cross was the establishment's no to Jesus's vision of God's just future. The cross interrupted Jesus's salvific work, while the resurrection reversed the, the interruption and, and it inspired Jesus's early followers to live out his vision, to keep living out his vision of a, of a just future. I'm reminded of how uh, Reverend Dr. Kelly Brown Douglas, how she phrases it in her powerfully written book, Stand Your Ground, Black Bodies and the Justice of God. She writes on page 187, the resurrection is God's definitive victory 
over the crucifying powers of evil. As the cross is defeated, so too is that power. The impressive factor is how it is defeated. It is defeated by a life-giving rather than life-negating force. God's power unlike human power, is not a master race kind of power. That is, it is not a power that diminishes the life of another so that others might live. God's power respects the integrity of all human bodies and the sanctity of all life. This is a resurrecting power. Therefore, God's power never expresses itself through humiliation or denigration of another. It does not triumph over life. It conquers death by resurrecting life. The force of God is a death-negating, life-affirming force. And Douglas goes on to reference Audre Lorde's phrase, the master's tools will never dismantle the master's house. They may allow us to temporarily beat him at his own game, but they will never enable us to bring about a genuine change. Douglas then responds to Lorde, by saying, or by writing, what the crucifixion resurrection event reveals is that God does not use the master's tools. God does not fight death with death. God does not utilize the violence exhibited in the cross to defeat deadly violence itself. God's resurrecting power is nonviolent. God enters into the world of violence, yet God does not take violence into God's self. Thus, God responds to the violence of the world, not in an eye-for-an-eye manner. Instead, God responds in a way that negates and denounces the violence that perverts and demeans the integrity of human creation. Thus, through the resurrection, God responds to the violence of the cross, the violence of the world, in a nonviolent, but forceful manner. One of the uses of the threat of a cross in Roman society was to prevent rebellion or resistance. It was used to keep oppressed communities silent. It was used to keep oppressed communities passive. And to stand up to injustice was to embrace the possibility that one might also end up on a cross for doing so. This context of of standing up and, and speaking out, fully knowing what the repercussions may be, is the context that I believe is the most life-giving way to read uh, the words that we find in Luke's gospel from Jesus. He said to them all, if anyone wants to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their crosses daily and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will save it. And again, that's Luke 9, 22 through 24. Those who choose to save their life by remaining passively silent in the face of injustice, those Those are the ones who end up losing their life, losing their humanity, even if they live on with their privilege and their position untouched. God's just future is both future and it's present. The, the, the future present paradox is not an either or. It's, it's a both and. God's just future begins every time someone chooses justice over injustice, liberation over subjugation, equity over exploitation, and thriving over extinction. And it can also be obstructed. Every time we choose to stand with the most vulnerable to injustice, the beginning of God's just future is here. It's now obstructed, though it may be. We get to choose 
which way the moral arc of the universe bends. The status quo either bends us or we bend it, and it shapes us or we shape it. And this leads me to a question I get asked a lot, but what about when we feel like our taking a stand isn't making much of a difference? And I have to admit, I am also this week wrestling with these feelings of, of futility after spending uh, this past Monday at my state capitol talking to our representatives. I'm reminded of the story of A.J. Must. A.J. Must was an organizer in the anti-Vietnam War movement of the 1960s, and standing at a candlelight vigil protest in front of the White House, a reporter asked uh, Must, do you really think you're going to change the policies of this country by standing out here alone at night in front of the White House with a candle? Must replied softly, Oh, I don't do this to change the country. I do this so this country won't change me. And I believe that when we choose to take a stand, even when it feels futile, the beginning of God's just future, it's already arrived. Will it grow to fruition? That's for us collectively uh, to decide. When we see movements toward a more just, more compassionate, safe society, uh, when we see those movements at work, we can oppose them, um, choosing to, uh, a more moderate, less threatening to the establishment path, or we can come alongside those movements, pitching in our energy and, and resources to work with them for change. If we do that, we can confidently say with Jesus, God's just future, though obstructed, is already among you. Heart group application, where do you see fear of a more just society being demonstrated today. Uh, change, I know, can be scary for those that are benefiting from present unjust systems. Where do you see people being afraid of positive change? And then discuss that with your group. Number two, what movements for justice do you see being obstructed? Have your group make a list of where you see that taking place. And then number three, what can your group do collectively to stand with and to work alongside uh, those movements. Pick something from that and, and then put it into practice. Thanks for checking in with us this week, right where you are. Keep living in love, choosing compassion, taking action, working towards justice. I love each of you dearly. I'll see you next week.